Welcome to another installment of the Do Big Things podcast. This episode is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, where we want you to do big things. You want to get in shape? You want to sign up for your first race? You want to sign up for your 10th race? We can help. Not only can we get you to the start line, but we can get you into the finish as well. We offer professional crewing and pacing services for your ultramarathon. Look us up, big-things-crewing.com. So a new client approached me this week and says he needs some help getting in shape. Great, what do you need? What are your goals? I asked. He starts telling me about how he needs someone to hold him accountable because he just goes home from work every day and doesn't have the motivation to exercise. Great, I told him. No problem. I can help. Why do you want to get in shape? What are your goals? I asked him. He replies, my mom is sick and needs a new kidney. I want her to have one of mine, but the doctor says I might be too overweight to go under the knife. I need to lose some weight and I need to get in shape fast. She needs a new kidney in a couple of months. Damn. Now, that kind of got me fired up. This guy is going to start exercising because his mother's life depends on it. I guess maybe it made, made me feel a little privileged or a lot privileged. Uh, I'm doing this stuff every day for fun so that I'm not a jerk to people. <laughs> uh, and I'm no doctor. I don't know how this is all going to shake out, but I'm writing him up his first training plan and taking him up to the mountains for his first hike. Talk about do big things, baby. My guest today just set the unsupported FKT on the LA Freeway, a 50-kilometer ridge line along the Continental Divide right outside of Boulder, Colorado. He's a young dude, he's super fast, and I see him and his wife moving along quickly on the trails in Boulder, uh, going up and down the flat irons from time to time, and they're always smiling and always having a good time. Cordis Hall is just a really friendly, down-to-earth guy, and I consider him to be a part of the next generation of up-and-comers of you know, one of those all-around mountain-type athletes. His wife is currently out tearing up the John Muir Trail as I record this, and she's going for an FKT of her own. I really wanted to hear about his latest adventure. So without further ado, here is Mr. Cordis Hall. All right, please tell me you can hear me. Oh, I can hear you. Woo! All right. Success. What did you do? I switched to a laptop. <laughs> right on. You're an engineer, right? I know, right? It's always crazy when I'll be a, a bunch of other techies and no one can figure out how to make technology work. <laughs> <laughs> you did it, man. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Everything's good. I'm perfect. Um, are you home right now, or I know you were in Vegas a couple days ago. I am uh, on the road right now, yeah. So my wife, Abby, is uh, going to do the John Muir Trail starting in like 12 hours. Uh, oh, nice. Okay. I thought she was doing it a few days ago. Yeah, she like posted that she was going to do it, and then uh, I think somehow within that, it got lost in the confusion. People were like, oh, you did it. And she, uh, oh, no, okay. I still have hundreds of miles to go 
<laughs> awesome. Okay. So she's starting, when did you say? In like 12 hours? Yeah, tomorrow morning. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool. Well, good luck to her. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be super fun to follow along. And she's doing it unsupported, so it makes my job pretty easy. Oh, yeah. You just get to sit and look at a dot on the computer, right? Exactly right. Okay. Why did she choose to go unsupported if you're going to be down there? Um, I mean, I think it, it had no relation to me being there, not just um, the notion of like, um, kind of that, like, since it could be, it's mm -hmm. the cool way to do it. And for a trail like that, where it is super remote, it mm -hmm. seems to start to make, uh, the most sense logistically. Cause then you're just sort of, uh, unchained. Like you don't have to depend on anything else. And it's not like a yeah. crazy logistics matrix. Yeah, for sure. I mean, aesthetically unsupported is always kind of the way to go. Um, cool, man. Well, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Exciting for both guys. Yeah, it's going to be super fun. Cool. So have you recovered? Um, your LA Freeway FKT was a couple of weeks ago now, right? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, yeah. yeah, I feel pretty much recovered at this point. Uh, it mostly just super dehydrated and depleted me versus like, um, I don't know. I mean, not my legs were absolutely tired, but that wasn't the crux of what was the limiting factor on that. It was definitely the, uh, I guess sort of, you just boil it down to just exposure being up on the high Ridge for so long without enough yep. water planned. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I know there's lack of water up there. Um, for sure. But was that the, the main nemesis while you were out there was just lack of water or yeah. what did that Okay. Yeah, definitely that. I mean, there was a little bit of smoke as well, but I mean, yep. once you once you're up high, you're sort of above the the haze of it all, so it's not so bad. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, definitely water, and I was warned of that going in. That people were like, "Hey, you're not gonna find any," <laughs> and uh, that was pretty accurate. How much water were you carrying? So I started basically with like a half liter and then on the way up longs, there's streams in the boulder field. Uh, so then yeah. you fill up there. And then there is a actually extremely reliable and beautiful spring on Oozel mountain or Oozel, okay. I forget if that's a peak or a mountain. Uh, and so you can fill up there, but then it's quite a ways to uh Pawnee, which has the next, water fill up and yeah you know, i think even i did a liter and a half capacity and i think even bumping it up to two could have made a significant difference yeah that's not very much water yeah <laughs> i mean i know that you normally travel pretty light um what was the thought behind that just you know travel light moving faster or um did you have some sort of a, I mean, what, what was your thoughts behind that rather than carrying, you know, two, three liters of water, a couple Nalgene bottles or whatever? Um, why did you go so light? Yeah. Uh, so a couple years ago I had traversed wild basin, which by the numbers is fairly similar. It lacks a like the amount of technicality. So you're able to go quite a bit faster. And I did that with a liter and a half 
and I, I had ran I ran out for like the back six hours, but I had no refills on that one. So I was like, you know, I can get through it, but um, <laughs> but that doesn't really add up when like I I was definitely trying to push the pace. Yeah, I had all of Kyle's splits memorized, and I just set myself out. I was like, I'm gonna be five to ten minutes within every single one of his splits until I can't. Uh, okay, and so then. <laughs> And so then, yeah, you're, you're at like a different exertion level and you're not just sort of plugging along like you might be on, a, on another day where, you know, you could just be like, oh, I'll just be dehydrated and chill. Right. <laughs> like you can't like really push it if you're that dehydrated and then you don't want to eat. It just unravels. So once it unravels. Now, when Kyle did it, was he self-supported or supported or how did he do it? Yeah. So it's kind of like an interesting history with this. So um, to rewind even further. So yeah. Tell everyone what, what um, the LA freeway consists of for yeah. in case people don't really know. Yeah. So the LA freeway. And so it gets its name for being uh, Long's L to Arapaho A. So LA freeway, I guess, I believe that's a song from I think 1970s before my time. Um, but the name was given to it by Buzz Burrell, who put it all together for the first time in a couple days. Right. So he did a bivy in the middle. And then uh, the next step forward would have been uh, Matthias, who he then uh, he had support. So he had some people meet him up on the ridge for resupplies and so forth, a little bit of pacing or, um, as some accompaniment and then what Kyle did uh, and now Kyle has the fastest overall time is he stashed um, a couple dry bags with water and food at Pawnee Pass and Buchanan Pass which is sort of like and then maybe the three quarters or two thirds mark Uh, and so he had three liters of water at each of those (laughs) I was just envisioning what it would feel like to have a liter and a half of water at that point (laughs) It just sounded heavenly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so how bad did the dehydration get? I mean, were you hallucinating? Were you just falling oh, no, on hands and knees? Yeah. Like, not that bad? I mean, you just, like, slow down so much. And then um, I think the issue, one of the main issues I hit was I got really desperate for water. And then, you know, I'm doing this ridge traverse and then I see a snow field like a hundred feet off the ridge. So then I wander down to that and I get like two ounces of water from it. So it was like complete waste of time. Now I'm traversing way beneath the ridge. It's all sloppy. Or then uh, between Paiute Peak and Mount Toll, there's this weird plumbing system in the rocks where there's draining water and you can hear it clearly. Okay. But it's about probably five feet beneath the surface of the talus, which is just enough that even like digging around in there, you can't get to it. <laughs> and I tried for like 20 minutes. <laughs> you tried digging around in there? Yeah, just because, you know, it's to think about like, oh, I can't get over one more mountain without water. There's no way. And I can hear it. I'll, I'll get to it with enough determination. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, if someone was going to do it the same style as me, I would say if you get dehydrated, 
just keep moving until you get to a reliable source because you'll waste too much time and energy looking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just kind of like take it, keep moving. And then there are reliable sources. Sure. Um, you just have to know where they are, I guess. And, yeah. and just keep moving forward and, and, and just suck it up, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I really think that's pretty much it. Wow. Well, you still got the unsupported FKT and it was like 20 hour, 20 and a half hours, right? 20 hours, 36 minutes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So That's awesome. it was good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just an incredible effort, man. I mean, um, yeah, dude. So how much scouting went into this before you actually went for it? Yeah. So um, essentially I had been training for this big adventure with my wife, Abby, where we wanted to do the fast fifth nature verse, kind of like how Mark Oveson did it. Um, and so a lot of the year had just been sort of devoted to just big days out, um, sort of mostly hiking ups, running the downs, just like easy pace. Um, so then, and that's a really similar uh, area to the LA freeway. It's basically through Rocky mountain and the Indian peaks. Um, and so, Basically, after that, I gave myself like 10 days off and then did four days of scouting in a row. Okay. And then took another 10 days easy and did it. Okay. Uh, but I think it, the reality is that, you know, I've lived in Boulder now for basically my whole life. And so probably I've been around these peaks for so long that a lot of it I had already done before. It was either just a refresher or a different way to do a lot of the things so sure so you were pretty confident about the route going in yeah yeah you know for that ascent of longs that was my like 45th or something time up longs and wow. so like I, I had been in the area so much that a lot of the route felt very familiar but there's definitely some nooks and crannies in there uh that were new day of and then some cool parts that i learned scouting that uh yeah. super fun that's cool that's cool wow man well congrats i mean either way dehydration or not you still did it and it's pretty amazing effort so well done man thank you so i'm just sitting here reminiscing i think the first time i ever met you was um when you were uh outpacing and crewing logan at, at his nolan's attempt does that sound right to you i i think that sounds right yeah when he texted me like in the middle of school Thursday night was like, Hey man, you want to pace Nolan's tomorrow? <laughs> it seems <laughs> like the most Logan fashion I ever do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, I don't see the big deal, dude. Just come up here and do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's exactly how Logan would be. I'm trying to remember how much time were you out there with him? Uh, way too long. Uh, really? Yeah. I think I ended up being out for like 30 hours or something stupid. I didn't know it was that long. Yeah, well, so I did Yale, Columbia, Harvard, Oxford, Belford, and then somehow I didn't get picked up by the crew, so then I walked the majority of the way back to Buena Vista on the road. <laughs> oh my gosh. Which was like most of the night after trying to sleep in a vault toilet and giving up after a couple hours. <laughs> That's right. I remember hearing a story like like somebody – I thought somebody said that they drove by the, gosh, what was it? I don't know if it was the Missouri Gulch trailhead or what trailhead it was, 
but you were just passed out with a headlamp on, just pointing up at the sky, hoping somebody would find you. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. Wow. I had no idea what I was getting into. It was great. <laughs> had you spent any time out there before that? I mean, I had done like a few of the routes here and there, but um, yeah. no. I mean, as far as like the Nolan's line, you know, once yeah. once we dropped off the other side of Yale, everything was new. Oh man. Uh, that's a good first experience out on the Swatch range uh, on that line man because that's how most scouting adventures go and that's how a lot of Nolan's attempts go too it's just like ah here's a good bailout point I'm walking down to Buena Vista yep pretty much yeah and really that section I did with Logan is probably my favorite section of that line really like Yale Missouri Gulch yep I think that's the coolest section I mean, you hit like yeah. seven fourteeners, and yep, yeah. It's probably the most remote. You're out there, just like you're out there, man. I mean, there's not a whole lot of bailout points. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's beautiful out there. Yeah, and that's I think that's like the beauty of LA Freeway too is that it's continuous. Um, in that, like, you're not hitting anywhere where it would really make sense to have support, like. Uh, for for Nolan's especially, there's there's touch points along the route where support almost seems obvious, right? Like, you know, you go through Alpine, it's like yep. I'm gonna hit basically a highway. Mm-hmm. Like, let me just get some food. That's what's called Valley Freeway. You know, once once you break through Treeline, uh, really once you leave Longs, it is empty. Mm, okay. uh, no one is on those other peaks. Uh, I think I saw I saw like one guy in isolation, and I actually saw a ranger um, near Buchanan Pass on a mountain called Red Deer. Okay. But did you talk to him at all? Yeah, I did. Um, okay. Because he's like, "Oh, where are you headed?" <laughs> like, too far. Uh, <laughs> did you tell him what you were doing? Yeah, he was psyched. Um, really? That's cool. Yeah, I've always <laughs> found that rangers are always pretty cool with that because i was asking where he was going i was like that sounds super fun just traversing these little basins just him and his dog he just camps wherever he wants nice like man that'd be a good job man that'd be a really good job just be fun you know yeah i was like i can't believe you're getting paid to just do this yeah taking time off work (laughs) you're just out here having a blast oh man that's awesome well, if you don't mind, Cordis, like take us back to the beginning. And like, um, I never really heard your full story about, uh, I mean, I think you grew up pretty close to Boulder in Colorado, but, um, you know, how, where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? And uh, how did you eventually find uh, ultra running and, and, and moving fast through the mountains? Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Broomfield, which is, you know, 10 minutes, I guess 30 minutes now with traffic we got. Uh, East mm-hmm. Boulder, uh, and growing up, I was mostly into like honestly like swimming and football. And the only reason I would go to the mountains would be to ski at a resort. Okay. Uh, and then probably halfway through high school, I started to catch the the running bug. Both of my parents were runners, and they tried to get me into running, but. Um, you know, I was one of those kids where if mom and dad did it, there couldn't be anything less cool to do for than sure. parents did. So I was so resistant to it, probably okay. just for that reason alone. 
And so they kind of just backed off then. Okay. And then what organically then happened though is because you know I, Apple still doesn't fall far from the trees. That then I started to get into running halfway through high school. So hopped into cross country. Um, yeah, I mean I was I made varsity kind of like back of the top seven. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you know I was I was I was all right. Yeah, you were good. Uh, and then went to see you for college. I uh, didn't really know where athletics would take me from there, right? Because, you know, if you're a uh, back of the varsity pack in high school, your chances of making the CU team are zero. And so <laughs> you sort of just accept that. You're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little fish in a really, really big pond here in Boulder, especially when it comes to endurance sports, which is very liberating too because there's also so many idols to look up to and – um, you just accept that like, I'm never going to be the absolute best. It's just not possible in Boulder. Someone's always going to be doing something insane. Not that right. Uh, yeah. And then I just started like dabbling around, you know, living on campus. You're maybe a mile from Chautauqua. And so inevitably, mm-hmm. runs started to take me to trails, and everything just sort of grew from there. And uh, probably throughout that first freshman year, I just by the end of the year, I was all about. Just like, how do I get out to the trails and get up to the mountains? Yeah. And so um, being a Boulderite, were you running up and down Green Mountain pretty regularly? Was that kind of a a staple uh, early in your your running career? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, when I first started being able to run up to Chautauqua, which is that main trail system, uh, you know, I I never really considered running to the top of the mountain. That would be insane. Uh, and so, but then, you know, things grow on their own. And so by the end of the year, uh, I remember it was Cinco de Mayo, just because I remember hearing the music at, from the parties on the hill. Uh, I was like, I'm going to run Green Mountain. So I start Googling it and I come across Anton's blog. And I, mm. I remember seeing it was just like Green Mountain every single day, like at least. Right. And I was like, this is just baloney. No one does. I thought the whole thing was just like fictional, essentially. <laughs> and that was that and so but then i went and ran green mountain i thought it was the hardest thing i'd ever done you know i needed two liters of water and a sandwich i probably i was bringing more for green mountain practically than i brought for the la freeway (laughs) i think i'm bringing a a handful of gels and two liters of water oh man Uh, (laughs) yeah and then it just like keeps snowballing from there where then you chip away at something and then you're like, oh, I, but then I could probably do this. And then yeah. uh, it just grows on itself and you just start peeling back the layers and trying to answer questions. You're like, oh, I wonder if I could do that. And then, you're, then you get cocky about it. And you're like, I bet I could do that. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember how long that first trip up Green Mountain took you? Oh, I don't. So I, I ran it from campus. Um, okay. I don't think I even wore a watch. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, it would have been, it was probably four hours. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. It took me a long time to be comfortable to get up green in like under an hour. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And when did you um, start hanging with the Rocky mountain runners? Because um, mm-hmm. I feel like as soon as you jumped in with those guys, all of a sudden your running just progressed. I could be wrong, but that's yeah. just, how I kind of remember it. Yeah. So 
the first time I ran with the Rocky Mountain Runners would have probably been, I think the summer of 2013 is my guess. Okay. And I, I did the, the Monday evening uh, green. And I remember I couldn't keep up with the back of the pack, which on that <laughs> day was Greg Salveson, who had ran a 200-mile race like 24 hours before and won. <laughs> oh, classic. Longer than two hundred. But I, I was really discouraged, and I didn't show up to RMR for another six months, actually. Oh, I just felt no kidding. Really yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, they're a friendly, casual group, but the reality is that there's a lot of really good people in there. <laughs> and yeah, so, 100%. Uh, yeah, I then <laughs> sort of went back to the drawing board, and I think really New Year's of 2014. Maybe it was 15. I get my years mixed up a lot. Um, no, it was, it was 20. Yeah, so start of 2015, I just decided that, like, I was going to do green every day. Uh, mm. um, and so then... What inspired that? I mean, really, I think Anton, for sure. Just because mm -hmm. it's, it's a simple recipe that mm -hmm. gets you fit. And if you're in sure. it it frankly works, right? It's maybe it's not the most efficient way to get fit. Like if you have a coach, they're going to get you there a little easier maybe, mm -hmm. but um, there's a simplicity about it that just felt easy enough. And at that point in my life, I had you know, two hours to kill in college. So I was like, screw it. I'll just do this every day. And your fitness grows quite a bit and, or at least your comfort in the mountains and your comfort on trails. Uh, so that's kind of what I did there. And I mean, now that's like, that's more volume than I do regularly. Now Like I do not hear sure. 70 miles and 20 K every week. Now that's, that's way more than I would normally. That's a lot for sure. Yeah. How long did you keep that up for? Uh, I mean, in terms of green every day, it was, it wasn't truly every day. It was probably like five or six a week, realistically. Um, okay. I probably did that through the end of the school year. And then over the summer, um, I didn't work that summer. And so I just ran myself into the ground. Um, and then it was the end of that summer that then would have been the first time I met you and I paced Logan. Uh, okay. And that would have been one of my first like ultra, ultra distance sort of sort of things. Was what I did when you were pacing Logan. Yeah, that was definitely the first time that I had gone like, you know, like thirty hours or something mental. Sure. At the time, you know, you think like, oh, it's this extraordinary experience, which I mean, it is really special. But you think what's happening to you in those moments, the first time it happens, isn't like what happens to other people at that sort of time frame. Sure. And then yeah. once you've done it a few times, it becomes normalized. And it's like, oh, this is just what happens when you do this. Yeah. And so, I mean, you can combat it with nutrition and logistics and experience and getting it a little bit better but a lot of it is just sort of reality that if you're gonna do something for 30 hours it's hard <laughs> so that first time you went out with logan for 30 hours um what sort of things were you experiencing was it just like your standard bonk and you know standard legs being tired or, or what are you talking about there yeah i always think it's like the the sleepiness, um, any sort of overnights always super tough. Mm -hmm. Thankfully on LA freeway, I think I finished like 1am, something like that. 
okay. so, you know, I, I didn't have really any of that. Um, yeah, but then just sort of like mental fog just from being out there for a while, especially when you're having a route find and you can't just sort of stare at the ground and walk along the trail hundred percent. You have to be yeah. really active. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's one bit that I really underestimated about the LA freeway was just how like emotional it would feel. Mm, okay. Uh, m- more so than when I've been on the Nolan's line, just because it feels way more committing in a lot of those places where like if you're on this like steep terrain, you're on these little ledges or these on the fifth class and the, the back third, uh, it's just really taxing mentally to have that exposure all the time. And okay, mm. you can't just chill always. You always right. have to be thinking like, all right, like, you, like you're using loose rocks for holds, so you're having a, you know, like, push, don't pull. All these little factors that you're juggling the whole time, and uh, mm-hmm. that definitely added up over time. Yeah, I bet. So with the LA Freeway, I mean, it, it's, like, roughly 50 kilometers, right? It's, like, 35 miles. Yeah. But there's 20,000 vertical feet in there and it took you 20 hours. Yeah. So, you know, obviously that's not like running time. It's, it's way more scrambling time. Yeah. Uh, how much running is involved because you're, you're technically like on a ridge line, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't run anything that wasn't downhill was kind of my plan going in. I think I stuck to that. Um, so, I mean, so going up longs, there's probably a 200-yard section of trail on the mm-hmm. way up that that's runnable. Maybe a few steps in the boulder field. But then sure. after that, yeah, like you could technically run bits of – there's a large section of tundra actually in the center of LA Freeway, probably miles 10 to 20-ish. That's just, okay. It's just grass. Um, it's sort of like that like people like to call it like that tennis ball sort of grass where it's really uh, oh, yeah. and so my plan for that was um, and I learned this just from a lot of the stuff I'd done with Abby uh, for our fifth traverse was I brought poles and I was like I can I can literally walk 14 minute miles with way less tax on my body so I just marched all that out and okay. run uh, yeah. I think on the perfect so overall and heroic, like very, very little running overall though. Right. Yeah. Really little. I mean, okay. So for downhills, downhill grass and stuff, and even like the home stretch going down longs is fairly runnable. Uh, mm-hmm. And so for those downs, I would definitely give it a jog. Sure. Okay. Wow. It's pretty unreal, man. But so in the meantime, before LA Freeway, I mean, at th- at this point in your career, you've done hundred milers, you've done UTMB, and yep. you've done some other adventures that um, took. I'm just looking right now. Um, you've done other adventures that are, you've been out longer than in 24 hours, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, all that. Sure. Okay, and oh, Cruel Jewel, I've done that one. That's um, a great. Yeah, that's a great race, especially coming from Boulder, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just fun. Like, 
It is. Oh, like it's, cool. it's all up and down. Like there's very little flat running, but especially, yeah, coming from where we're living, um, you know, I got down there and everyone was talking about how technical it was and I didn't really find it to be technical at all compared to what we're used to running on. Oh yeah, for sure. And like, I think like the Northeast, I just hear about, it's just like a Creek bed everywhere, but that trail specifically, it just felt like it was overgrown for sure. The trail's like six inches wide, but right. Yeah. Otherwise just like, just don't step on the turtles and you're good to go. <laughs> so once you started running um, up and down green every day, yeah. At that point in your career, were you like most ultra runners where you get kind of obsessed with it and you build your mileage up way too big, you're doing way too much vert and uh, you're just having a ball and you just loving every minute of it and then eventually scaled back or what did it look like for you? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Um, I think doing that every day, it definitely works to an extent, but I think you can also plateau with that. Um, especially if like, when I look back, I was not super good at honestly running, you know, I could get myself up and down a mountain pretty good. Uh, but frankly, I couldn't run a step up green mountain, um, which is pretty common and it's pretty hard to do. And so you just kind of have to like rearrange your approach a little bit in order to kind of get out of that rut where, you know, I could get up green mountain really easily, but I would have, I would be stuck at one time. And then if I were to go run on the flats, you know, I was just very mediocre. And so, and they are connected is what I've found over time in that if I am fast on the flats, I'm pretty fast uphill too. Uh, You got to practice both, of course, but being good at both is certainly worthwhile. And yeah, I like to keep, I like to mix it up quite a bit. I think that's, for me now, that's my greatest path towards fitness and enjoyment and uh, health. So you mean like mixing up hiking, running, walking? Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. And even yeah. like, you know, I try and mix in biking quite a bit more now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and scrambling quite a bit as well. You know, I, I don't practice scrambling a whole lot anymore. I did a really? ton of it for a while. Yeah. And I don't really feel like going any more technical in what I would do without a rope. And so okay. I'm at a threshold there where I feel good. Anything above 5.6 is kind of where I draw my line, unless it's some tiny little isolated crux of a 5.7 move maybe. Um, sure. And I maybe I've like, uh, what would be the word, regressed a tiny bit in my absolute speed at that. Uh, but for the most part, I just feel the same level of comfort on that. And so, you know, in the past, Did something I, happen or what changed there? Um, I guess just shifting priorities, I guess. Uh, sure. yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say anything like happened. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. there was an event that coincided with it that I'm not aware of and there's something subconscious, but a lot of it just came from, I don't know, convenience, I guess. I live further from the Flatirons now, and I don't like to have to drive or commute or even ride my bike to a trailhead. I just run from home. So, Right, right, yeah. Isn't that funny? I'm the same way. Like, 
and I know so many ultra runners are the same way. It's like, I would rather just go out my door and do a long run from home rather than drive to a trailhead or drive yeah. my bicycle to a trail. Like I know guys that are really into mountain biking and I'm like, I'm too lazy to drive my bike to a trailhead. Like I'd rather just run out the door. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always look at those things as like, yeah, I can do green round trip say in an hour from the trailhead, but like, that's not my door to door time. Like when I put it into my life, my door to door time's like two hours. Cause I got bike there, get the bike out, all those. I mean, yeah, they're, it's very lazy things, but uh, <laughs> if I can get the same bang from my buck in terms of time, just by running somewhere else, then I'm going to do that. Yeah. Well, you were really involved with um, the Satan's Minions there for a while. And I know you were scrambling a lot and you were scrambling hard yeah. and scrambling fast too. So it surprises me to hear that you've scaled back a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, really? I wouldn't say there's, I guess I've, fo- I've started to focus more on like racing, racing. And that was really my plan for the year. If I weren't for COVID that I really wanted to focus properly on the competition aspect so i got a coach this year in corinne malcolm and we had a nice plan set up but plans are useless in 2020 uh yep. and you know she helped me pivot with all these other goals uh but i think that's probably also another contributor to why i phased out scrambling a little bit because i've gotten more interested in uh just the more traditional competitive side as well sure yeah um what races were you looking at this year before covid uh, yeah, so luckily we squeezed in. My wife and I got out to Red Hot for the 55K there. Um, so we did that. Uh, I got sixth. She won. And then uh, nice. we, we made it into a whole desert tour. And so I had, a, I had to be in Las Vegas for work. And so then on the way home, we uh, stopped in Monument Valley and did the half marathon there. Uh, and then we were going to do Transvolcania. That got canceled. Mm, and then, yep, I was going to do the marathon. My wife was going to do the ultra. And then uh, after that, there's a race that Adidas puts on in Austria called Infinite Trails, which is a relay. That's super sick. Uh, okay. Highly recommend that. Actually, mm. probably the coolest course I've ever done. I have like an actual ridge traverse and like cross country running with glissading. And it was pretty sick. Uh, so that okay. would have been in June, and I would have been at TDS uh, uh, like three days ago. It would have been. <laughs> okay, okay. And then, so what does that look like when you go to your – I mean, obviously your coach is, is in the know about what's happening in the world, but yeah. um, how do you transfer from I'm going to do all these races to, all right, I'm, I'm switch, switching gears and I'm doing these personal goals instead? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think it was as simple as that. Yeah, so uh, a lot of it is just, you know, like things were, I felt like for a while things were changing on a week to week basis of like, okay, like the races in May are canceled, probably UTMB will be fine. So let's just start training for UTMB uh, or TDS okay. at UTMB. Uh, and so luckily the training for TDS transferred pretty similarly, I think towards that fast fifth nature traverse and uh la freeway yeah tds 91 miles and probably similar vert probably 25k of vert 
but way faster than LA freeway. So it's probably around like high teens, low twenties finish time. Uh, yeah. And just, uh, working with her, I think probably one of the biggest things I got out of a coach, which I didn't foresee happening was stress relief. Uh, okay. Also like when I used to just do green every day, that would just be mm-hmm. like how I would like quantify and like qualify myself as a person. It was like control my identity. Sure. And then that like governs my whole life where like, then I feel like I just wasted time if I didn't get it in. And okay. then, so having a coach has been really helpful in having someone there say like, Oh, just do this. That's plenty. Like don't do more. Like she sent me all caps before more is not better. <laughs> Like okay. uh, before Room Hot, I was like, I'm going to do a 50K every weekend. She's like, that's stupid. Like, you know, no, it doesn't make any sense. And so uh, just having another voice there um, and then to be able to think uh, like after work, I'll be like, ah, oh, I don't have much time to go for a run. And she'll be like, oh, no worries. We'll just do like 45 minutes today and we'll make sure that the weekend accounts for it. And just those little things start to really build up. And when that's not something I have to worry about, sure. I just work about getting out there. I see what's on my schedule. I have my trust in her and I can just like go work hard or take it easy, depending on what makes the most sense for the, for the plan. Mm-hmm. I think in the summer that falls apart a little bit though, just cause we get so excited about uh, doing things. And then with the summer we've had, it's just been a little bit crazy. And so, yeah. Hopefully, things fall fall back into a groove a little nicer. So, yeah. is that strange for for someone like you who's running up and down Green Mountain every day to put your trust into a coach who's saying more is not better? You should be running less, and a forty five minute day is okay. You don't need to run up and down. Was that was that weird at first? Was that a new experience for you? I think it's been like weirdly associated with mountain running at least at least around like the boulder area i feel like where um it feels like it would restrict you from like doing things like projects or something like that or like scrambling at all but that's just like not true is kind of what i came to learn i think some of that came from uh doing some more running in europe where I don't know, like, if you look at what Killian's actually doing, like, he trains. He doesn't just, like, go out and do the same thing every day. Like, I saw a post from him this morning on Instagram where he did a VK and a 10K in under an hour. And, like, wow, that's those are two very distinct skills to run a sub-30 10K and a sub-30 VK. And, no like, doubt. you start to see that, like, oh, no, like, people people have coaches, like, especially in Europe where this has just been happening for a lot longer than America maybe, or at least it's more popular uh, yeah. for longer. Yep. So, I don't know. Some of it, you just sort of realize that like, I mean, my coach gets up to the same stuff. Like she's all about that. She totally understands where I'm like, Oh, weather is perfect. Can I go hit longs this morning? And she's like, mm-hmm. sure. Great. And, and she adjusts the schedule for that and accommodates it. And so, Got it. it is a balance of everything. And I, don't know, I feel better on those days now with a coach. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was an interesting realization to come to that you can have a coach and still 
run technical mountains and like scramble to mix things up. Yeah. It all works. A good coach. Did you ever? Uh, should uh, help. Did you ever? Uh, hinder. But, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just wondering, like, did you ever have like guilty feelings that you're running less? Because I just feel like you're really driven to be out in the mountains for long periods of time, day after day after day. Um, was there like a strange period of adjustment or did it flow pretty naturally? Did you just trust her? Yeah, I think some of there's definitely sometimes we feel like FOMO. Um, yeah. And I think one cool thing that we we've sort of done a couple times is that, you know, so I, I'm not, I don't run full time. I still have a job. And so that, that sort of introduces its own set of limitations such that, you know, I can't just max out every day. And, but then I've ended right. up with like a couple like periods where I'll be off work for a week and then it's sort of like a free for all. Mm. Uh, and so then with those, I can essentially just go do as big as I feel like I want to or can do. And uh, during those times, then I do feel better. But I think in the winter, for sure, like when I was trying to focus on getting actually faster, like going to do red hot, which is a proper running race. Like, I don't know, like every weekend I was like, oh, man, I'm doing a 90 minute run this weekend. Because for years <laughs> Like on the weekend, it was like, ah, I got to get like a four, six hour run in. Right, right. But, you know, I got a lot better. Like you, it, once you start to see the results, then it doesn't feel weird, I guess. Yeah. Like when you're yeah. doing it, you're like, this is wrong. And then two months later, when you're like ripping these runs, you're like, okay, I'm in. Because once, once you get out for a run and can go that fast, oh, it's so fun. For sure. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, from her point of view, um, was she able to scale you back because your fitness was already at such a level? Because if you came, if you were coming to her as a brand new ultra runner, she would have to build you up to a certain point first, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I don't necessarily know the answer to that, I guess. Um, yeah, I had known her for about a year. Um, before I uh, approached her about coaching. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she's on the Adidas team with me as well. And so we had spent a lot of time together at different races. Um, we ran UTM, we both did UTMB last year, ended up being able to run together for like a mile of that. Um, and so, yeah, no, there, there was a familiarity there. And I think that that had a lot to do with why I did approach her though. I, I, I didn't just go out looking for a coach. I realized right. that she was really skilled at this. She understood what I wanted to do. She understood me as an athlete and personally. And so then it just made sense. I was like, okay, like for you in particular, I would like if you would coach me. I wasn't interested in anybody else. True. Yep. That makes sense. So you and your wife are both on your team, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's on, she's on this as well. What's that like? <laughs> What's it like running for them? It's really cool. Um, they are really receptive to feedback on everything. Um, they, uh, you know, I think they provide tons and tons of support. They they want the same level back, and I think 
it really does feel like a team in that like when we all get together, we all care about each other quite a bit and it doesn't necessarily feel like uh, we all just have a brand label on our backs and we're kind of here for our own reasons. Mm-hmm. It feels like uh, a team effort all the time. I'm being able to do that with my wife then is then really the dream. <laughs> yeah. You're living the dream, man. That's awesome. Um, do you, do you ever feel like you have to perform? Like you have to go out and set an FKT since there's no races this year, or you have to do X, Y, and Z throughout the summer in order to like sort of keep your sponsorship or is that, I don't, I don't know how it works. I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, I think there's an aspect of that, but also that like, that like I want to, because mm-hmm. I don't know, like, 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 because I am a part of something just bigger than myself as just an individual athlete. Like, and I do care about like, uh, you know, the races that the brand runs, uh, you know, the goals that they have as a company, like they're making awesome stuff. We're trying to do it all in a super green way. Um, so I appreciate all of that and I want to get behind that and I want to contribute however I can to give back the sports they give me. But I mean, also I'm super motivated out of just being myself in that if, if I wasn't sponsored, I'd probably essentially be doing the same things. Mm, yep. That's like, a good feeling. Thing regardless. Yeah, where, you know, being sponsored is awesome and I love it. I care about it. But if there was no sponsorship, I would just be going after this by myself. That's cool, man. So, I mean, what's it like with uh, your wife? I mean, what's it like? I mean, I've seen you guys out on the trail together quite often. It seems like yeah. you guys spend a lot of time together. Are you guys always training together or are you guys competitive or like what are the pros and what are the cons of two ultra runners being married to each other? Yeah. So I think the pros are pretty obvious, right? Like we can get out on these super sick adventures together as a couple and have so much fun. Like yeah, be able to go out for like a 12 hour day with your best friend mm-hmm in the world mm-hmm. and just play in the mountains and to be like just there and run around is so mm-hmm. cool and fun uh and so that's definitely the, the the pro of all of it uh and then all the travel that comes with that then of you know we're always motivated to find these places and then travel so it's, it's all just like time spent together it can be boiled down to you um, for sure we're both we're both super competitive, right? Um, I think if, if you look up Abby's results, you might see some lower numbers in terms of finishing places than you see on my results. Uh, <laughs> and so um, she's super, super talented, um, almost to the point where, you know, she's beating most of the boys most of the time. And so then yeah. we do get super competitive. And then, you know, and so like uh, pacing things, becomes sometimes a challenge where you know i'll be like okay i plan this this loop for us it's going to be like just over a marathon there's a little bit of climbing in it i think you'll be fine i think we can do it in six hours <laughs> and then like sometimes we'll like overestimate or underestimate and then uh 
don't know. Those different competitive factors can manifest themselves in frustration sometimes, but uh, I think sure. I think we've also grown as a couple so much from those moments where uh, I don't know, just like boiled down to nothing out there. There's there's not much distraction besides just being there and interacting with each other. And uh, yeah. we always come out of any time where it's a tense moment or we have an argument. We always come out of there mm-hmm. with a huge takeaway being like, oh, I, yeah. I now totally understand where you come from like this. I should, I should be more aware of uh, this emotion that you feel or mm-hmm. like all those things. I just feel like we were able to really practice our communication and hone those skills as a couple. Uh, and I think those are super formative for our marriage. Yeah. Well, you must be doing something right, man. Like I said, every time I see you guys, you guys are together and I can tell you guys have a great relationship and it's, uh, you guys are young, but it's still enviable. So, um, right on, man. I mean, uh, yeah, you're just, you're living the dream, man. You're living in Boulder. You and your wife are just out running, doing big things. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. It's always good to just like remind yourself of that whenever you're like wanting, cause everybody always wants more. Everyone's great. At least I am. Um, <laughs> For sure. and it's always good to just hear that and think about like, no, like you are married to someone who loves the exact same thing you do. You live in the best place to do that. And like, you get to do it all the time. Yeah. So it's always a good reminder that just, just how good life is. For sure. Life is good. Good for you, man. Um, out of the FKTs you said, do you have any one that's more memorable than the other? Or is it usually just like the latest thing that you've done, like the LA freeway? <sighs> Interesting. Um, so really the one that I had the most fun on was the Cottonwood Marble Loop in Death Valley. Okay. We, uh, we sort of were just looking for, it was on the same desert trip that we did this year, um, like six months ago. And we were in Las Vegas thinking about like, all right, like, because I, I had to start uh, work the next day at a big conference in Las Vegas. And so then we're like, okay, what's one thing we can do? We're like, okay, we're not too far from Death Valley. I saw that the other FKT had been set seven days before so that stokes the competitive spirit and then um i don't know i just felt like i was in really good shape at that point too and so uh i think the reason i had the most fun there was i don't know if you've been to death valley but the sense of remoteness is so much more than anywhere else just Mm. see these huge expanses like for miles and miles and miles where it's just nothing the amount of signs of humans are basically non-existent like a couple roads here and there and uh and i just remember and so it's a cool loop so you go up one canyon um and it gains like 4500 feet i think total something like that and then you traverse across this sort of plateau and then drop down to another canyon and run back to the car so a simple concept there's a spring at like the 20 mile mark so for a 33 mile run yet you've got a perfectly stationed water refill. Mm, Okay. And uh, I just remember there's one moment up there where you're running on this like net downhill plateau between them where there's not really a trail there. It's just sort of this cross country desert travel. And I think I was just in really good shape at that point. And I just remember running really, really hard for like 20 minutes up there and just Mm -hmm. feeling so happy, like, 
to be able to just run fast out in the wilderness, see nothing. And just, it just felt so liberating and, uh, I don't know, satisfying, I guess. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're in that beautiful flow state where things were just clicking. I think, yeah, that's really what it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful place to be. That's, uh, it's one of those magical places I try to get to quite often and it only happens from time to time. Yeah. And you know, I think for LA freeway, I thought I was going to hit there. I thought I was going to hit at like the two thirds mark and like really fall into a nice groove and be able to kind of power through those last mountains with a lot of power and speed. And it didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, do you, feeling do you- uh, do you mainly attribute that to your lack of water? I I guess so. I mean, you could attribute it to a handful of things, I guess. I mean, it, it could just be simply the fact that maybe I wasn't in shape as I thought I was, and I, I wasn't ready to do that sort of a time. And maybe that was just the condition mm-hmm. I was in. And that's fine. Uh, sure. Um, I've... I really thought about bailing when, so I finished the last like four 13 ers in the dark and they're fairly technical, the last few. Um, and so doing that in the dark takes forever. So the time really started to balloon there. And so I remember, you know, I had like maybe six or seven peaks to go. I was getting to Arapahoe and starting to see like sunset colors. And I remember thinking it's like, ah, like, I don't know if I should do this in the dark like I'm already so far off Kyle's time. Like, what's the point? Like, I just wanted to get this time. I feel really bad about myself, feel embarrassed. that I thought I could even get it. But then like at the same time, like at Crest Ridge and you see sunset from 13,000 feet and you're on this sweet Ridge and all the mountains are jagged and awesome around you. And you're like, no, like I've looked at this Ridge my whole life. Like this thing is so cool. And I am up here right now. And I am doing fine. Like all in all, like, yeah, I'm not running the fastest time ever, but I can finish this thing. No problem. I can, I can get it. And that ended up being like the most meaningful thing about it. Just sort of accepting that. And I think that's one sad part about FKTs is that as cool as they are and bringing attention to very cool routes that are really fun to do fast. They also sort of, like there's no third place on FKT. Nobody cares, which is sad For because sure. like if you get third place in a race, that's awesome. Like that's right. really, really hard to do and cool. But like on FKT, it's like you basically like like no oh, one's cool. ever going to hear of it. Yeah, like doesn't even matter. Yeah, but you still did a really cool thing really fast, and you tried really hard. And um, like I would hate to restrict myself on anything I wanted to do based off of an inability or ability to get the fastest time on it. Not that I would like, I like going fast. And so that's always something I'll pursue, but I don't know. It's just a good reminder that you can still try really hard on something, not get the fastest time, have a really great time, be super proud of yourself. You know, and maybe you could come back someday, but it doesn't, it shouldn't detract too much from the overall experience. Yes. I would have liked yeah. to get time, but that's uh, that's two percent of what I feel from the day. Yeah, eight percent of it was awful. Dude. 
and that yeah that's a great way to, um i think that you're you're right on point there but how often happened to a guy like you i mean you're a fast dude and you mentioned that when you were at the cottonwood marble loop you had you previously looked up the fkt and saw that it had been set seven days prior so, yeah. i mean how often do you into these things thinking i'm definitely going for an fkt does it just happen Eh, just going out for a fast run, we'll just see what happens, and then bam, it's a magic day. Or, in, in contrary, I mean, how often for a guy like you do you go out looking to set an FKT and then fall short of that? Yeah, uh, I think there's both. I think, like everything, there's varying levels of competition, and I think just like I know I'm not going to go to UTMB and accidentally win. Um, there's certain FKT I won't <laughs> accidentally get and LA freeway is definitely one of them. But I mean, like even things, so like I was, in, I'm in Las Vegas right now and yesterday I went and ran a loop at Mount Charleston. So actually a sort of similar situation in death Valley where I looked up now I go to the FKT page a lot just to look up routes. Um, cause there's really mm-hmm. thick stuff that loop around Mount Charleston. It's at like 10,000 feet. So it's, uh, higher up above the desert heat where it's like 100 degrees, it's like 70 up there. And I see the record for that is 305, like a 17-mile loop with 5,000 feet. I was like, I bet I could break that. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. And like – Okay. Um, and so like I thought I was just going to be able to run a steady run and not have to like work too hard and maybe I could sneak under it. And I didn't get it. So I think that happens too. Uh, or I know it yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, we're getting more popular. And People are pretty fast these days. So I feel like every week sure. something where I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I can't believe we did that. hundred percent. No, I, I, and I just said it yesterday in a conversation. I just love when, you know, somebody that I've never heard of just pops up and just sets a new FKT. Oh my God. Like who is this person? Like, where'd they come from? And I, yeah. I just love when that happens. It's just inspiring to me. It just makes me want to get outside and, and work harder. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a realization too that like, I think a lot of it is people have been trying hard for a long time. And I think uh, it's just getting tracked a lot more now and people are having fun with that. And maybe they're giving another 3% effort to really take it to the next level. And now with no races, people are taking out, uh, those race efforts that they had otherwise been saving for more routine things. And they're just thrown down everywhere. And so like yeah. across the globe, I just feel like every single zone is just getting lit up with incredible efforts. Which normally you would see, like everybody show up to Western States or UTMB or whatever. And everybody gives it their all there and everybody gets beat by Jim Killian and Courtney. And that's that. Yeah. But now it's everywhere. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, man, I can't help but reminisce. Um, so for anybody listening, Cordis and I had a mutual friend, Logan, who's no longer with us. But uh, I, I think I remember Logan telling me at one point, and correct me if I'm wrong, that did he is he the original person that showed you uh, Long's Peak and the route up Long's Peak? He showed me cables, yeah. Yeah. He showed you the cables route. Yeah. And then, so I think he told me, like, he took you out there and he showed you the cables route. And then you went out and you did it, like, every day for the rest of the week or something like that crazy. Is that is that true? 
was, I, yeah, I mean, that was, again, a summer I wasn't working, so, yeah, I was just going for longs all the time. I think I did it, like, 14 times that summer. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, like, he showed me cables, so I did it, like, the next two days, and then uh, who showed me keeners? Uh, Justin Simone showed me keeners, then, like, two weeks later, so then I did that a few times. And then, and then I showed Logan Keeners. Oh yeah. 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 That's cool, man. I mean, do you get obsessed with other things in life like that? Is that just kind of your personality? Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't know. I like, I guess I like focusing on things quite a bit and certain things definitely take my attention more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, like what other hobbies do you have in life that, um, that you became as obsessed with like ultra running or like long's peak? Yeah, I guess I only do a handful of things in life, I would say. And so that would be, um, I always boil it down to my marriage, my house, my job, and my athletics. Mm-hmm. I feel like those four things are pretty much what I care about. <laughs> uh, and so like uh, home improvement, my wife and I do a lot of that. Um, so we've definitely gotten into the pits on some of those projects where we, we redid our bathroom starting at the beginning of coronavirus and we have one. And so we didn't want to spoil it for <laughs> like a and so I think we just like to bite off big chunks and maybe sometimes it's too big. Sure. Um, I would say I'm probably more in that camp of just like biting off huge chunks than like obsession necessarily. I could, I could be wrong with that self-assessment. That's sure. Sure. So more than obsession. So like with these home improvement projects and with your marriage, um, I mean, are, are you like in your spare time studying how to do these things? Like when you're doing a home improvement project, you're, at, you're reading books, you're figuring out how to do it on your own um, in yeah. that sort of an obsessive way? Yeah, definitely that. I mean, luckily, um, you know, like Abby's parents are, they've done tons of home improvement. So they're a wealth of knowledge on that front. Uh, yeah, for, I mean, for anyone trying to do the like home improvement stuff, YouTube tells you everything. Like, it does, yeah, for sure. When I'm talking to my in-laws about it, like they had to like learn this stuff. But, like, <laughs> right. like they'd like go right. get a book or like ask somebody and figure it out. But like for me, I'm like, oh, what's the best way to install hexagonal stone tile? You know, I can the YouTube video about that. Who goes? they go through all the specifics like oh you should use this size trowel and this type of mortar and these sort of like grout gaps like oh okay great i'll do that yep and there's a hundred videos on it yeah and they're great <laughs> yep yep for sure oh, that's uh, cool man yeah. um so uh what's next for you man um i mean you and abby it seems like you're kind of working uh cohesively between your two goals do you guys have any goals that you want to achieve together and uh or what's next for you personally i mean do you have like a like a long list of things you eventually want to accomplish as far as your running career um it's a constantly growing list i guess right now i feel i'm a very satisfied position with it 
Um, aside from like, finishing Nolan's, like, which I, of course, want to do someday after failing okay. and having enough exposure to it, I think that's the only thing that really jumps out at me is like a lifelong pursuit. Um, mm-hmm. That's nice. That's a nice place to be in. But uh, competitively, I just like to you know, put myself out there a little bit more and go for some things. Uh, so TBD on when that's uh, suitable to do again. Uh, for this year, uh, Abby and I would like to try and do lowest to highest. So there's like a trail route from Badwater Basin and Death Valley to Mount Whitney. Oh, yeah. Um, if you can't tell, we really like Death Valley in the Sierras, even though we live in Boulder. Uh, <laughs> nice. Cool. Uh, we're hoping to maybe try and squeeze that in after okay. ends in Whitney. So like maybe start on Halloween and uh in death valley and by the time we get over to whitney you wouldn't need a permit ah okay that's a good plan but otherwise i think uh i'm trying to just take it easy the rest of the year enjoy things uh do things on a whim that sound fun and i have energy for (laughs) and i'd really like to start buckling down and trying to at least pretend like competitions are going to return 2021. Right. Yeah. No kidding. I miss that. Yeah. Being able to, you know, racing is cool because you can just empty yourself so much more. Like you can't, like you can like take yourself to the edge racing responsibly. And like, you can't go there for something like LA freeway. Like you have to have energy to bail at all times. (laughs) Like, cause there's not that support safety net yep. to, to catch you. So I miss yeah. that. It's being able to just mm. reckless with the safety net. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at your uh, FKT descending mountain and that seems pretty reckless to me. 13 minutes and 26 seconds. I mean, yeah. that just seems extremely reckless. Like, yeah, that was fun. gosh. I mean, if you're running that fast down Green Mountain, you've just surrendered all uh, control. I mean, I'm just picturing, like, arms flailing, sprinting down almost. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, that's a descent. If you wait for the right snowpack. Um, someone's actually tied that, by the way. I don't think Jackson Brill has submitted that or anything. Um, okay. There was some, I forget what exactly it was, but, like, I think he registered a faster Strava segment, but lower, but a slower watch split or something like that. And it was like within like a second for both of us. And so we just called it a tie um, okay. or at least I negotiated a tie. Whatever it was. Yeah. It, it's, that was just, you wait for the right conditions sometimes and conditions can be everything. Mainly conditions. Was it snowpack? It looks like it was in February. It was perfect. I walked okay. to the top and okay. on just in the descent. Yeah, it was uh, it was a perfect trench. Were you wearing no micro spikes? Tr- yes. Yeah. No spikes. Oh, yeah. Sure. No, okay. You got to have micro spikes for that because otherwise you can't corner fast enough. You have to slow down so much for sure. Back if you can't plant and turn. That. Mm-hmm. Without them, I don't think you could go much faster than like fourteen forty. You get like a minute from that. <laughs> wow. No, those spikes really help, man. You can just dig in. Yeah, that's uh, it's still incredible, man. Thirteen minutes, gosh, I don't know how you do it, man. It's pretty remarkable. So, 
Um, again, man, just a huge congrats on the LA freeway. And, um, I don't know, I, I find it, uh, comforting that you had some moments of doubt out there because it still seems like an incredible time and you were shooting for a faster time, but, uh, I, I guess it's comforting that you are at least part human and you had some moments of doubt and you had to do some self-talk out there to, to keep yourself going. Um, I mean, when I find myself like up at that altitude for that long, you know, I have to do a lot of self-talk. Like I make decisions that I wouldn't normally make and, you know, something that I wanted for so long, suddenly I don't want it anymore. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of it's just understanding that sometimes your, your brain is, is going to look for outs the whole time. Yeah. And you, you got to be able to figure out what of that is real and what of that is just being tired. Because <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's 100% right. Like, get out of there. Like, this is not where you should be. And sometimes it's like, no, like you found an excuse that you could justify, but it's weak. So don't do it. For sure. For sure. Yep. hundred percent. Well, that's awesome, dude. It's been fun talking with you and, and picking your brain a little bit. You're a complete stud out there. Every time I see you, you're moving super fast, man. So just keep doing what you're doing and, and keep inspiring, man. Do you have any shout outs or anything you want to give sponsors or, or I mean, like always thanks to DS for all the support. Um, uh, and the one thing I didn't really touch on, uh, I guess I mentioned it, but like yeah, I was not the first person to do this and it made that a lot easier because there's a lot of unknown sections. So I was building off of a lot of, or entirely off of, um, a lot of like what Matias and Kyle and Buzz and Peter and I don't even like a guy actually did it unsupported in a push like six days before I did it. Um, I, and, and he, he was super mm. helpful volunteering his thoughts and, and so I just appreciate everyone being super open about it. No one's like closing the doors on beta or anything. Everybody was super friendly. Yeah. Anybody who's done it, they get it and they're, they're happy to help however they can. And yeah. That's cool, man. That's one of the cool things about our sport and especially about these mountain adventures is, is, you know, nobody keeps their data to themselves. They're always willing to share it. Everyone's always encouraging the next person to go faster. Um, it, I mean, it takes a village to get this kind of stuff done. And uh, I think it's uh, it's just a beautiful thing watching the way that people work. And um, it brings out the best in people. It brings out the best in uh, the humanity of, of all the people who are out doing this stuff, all of our friends. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, are you, uh, close with Buzz at all or have you talked to him about Not this? Not a ton. I've never really had like a personal interaction with Buzz so much as I talked with Peter a little bit about it. I mean, I haven't okay. even talked face to face with Peter in a long while at this point, but, uh, yeah. That's cool, man. I mean, yeah, those guys were just pioneers of the sport and just laying down incredible times back in their day. And now, you know, gosh, guys are just getting so much faster all the time. It's just, uh, it's really fun to watch the progression take off. And it's just, you know, I wonder where this sport's going to be in 10 years and what kind of times people are going to be throwing down on some of these epic Yeah, I mean, ideally someone like 20 years from now, I'll get an email. It's like, oh, wow, some kid ran LA Freeway in 12 hours with no support. 
like super right. high school. Like <laughs> I, I didn't think that was gonna happen. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, what are your plans for Nolan's? Uh, do you have, are you looking at like a certain year or is this like just a, uh, like a lifelong project or uh, what do you, you know, I always ponder at the beginning of each summer, see if it's going to work out logistically, if it makes sense with other opportunities. Um, hasn't happened yet, but it doesn't seem like it's something that's going away anytime soon or, uh, you go, it's not like a, a fast thing either. So, I don't feel like if I do it when I'm 40, it'll be crazy different. That's probably wrong, but yeah. Yep. hundred percent. Same here, man. Yeah. That line's not going anywhere. Just got to wait for the perfect time. So, and it's going to happen, dude. Um, Just, just watching you over the last few years, I'm sure it's going to happen for you along with all kinds of other stuff. I can't wait to see what's in your future, man. You're, you've come a long ways. Like, I don't know you super well, but just watching you from afar, like I can tell that you're advancing pretty quick. So I'm excited to see Thanks. what's in the future. Appreciate you saying that. Uh, yeah. Um, ho- hopefully, hopefully the future uh, has uh, more to give. For sure. It will, man. All right, Cordis. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time and uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, like I said, just uh, can't wait to see what the future holds, man. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're Thank badass. you so much. Uh, thanks for having me on here, and I'll see you out on the trails. Absolutely. And, hey, uh, give Abby uh, uh, good luck Oh, yeah, me. yeah, she is excited. That's cool. I'm looking forward to seeing what's happening. I'll keep for an sure. eye on her. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Good luck we'll to you guys out there. Bye. All right, dude. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider making a donation. You can tap support this podcast to donate whatever you feel inspired to do. It would go a long way in helping keep this podcast alive. Or share it. You can write us a review. It's all much appreciated, you guys. You need supplements, protein powder, vitamins, energy drinks, I'm talking about the healthy energy drinks, not those crappy sugary ones. The ones that give you a nice sustained energy all day. I've got you. Hit me up. Vitamins, it's it's the good ones. It's not the ones with the chalky fillers unregulated by the FDA. I got you on all this stuff. I can hook you guys up. Find us at big-things-crewing.com. Hit me up. Send me an email. And I will hook you guys up. Thanks for stopping in. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Life is short. Do big things.